Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to our service this morning. First song this morning will be uh, You Are Holy. You are holy. You are mighty. You are worthy. Worthy of praise. And I will follow. And I will listen. And I will love you. All of my days. And I will sing to and worship. The King who is worthy, I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before Him. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before him. You're my prince of peace, and I will live my life for you. You are holy, and you are mighty, and you are worthy, worthy of praise. I will follow, and I will listen, and I will love you all of my days, and I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore him. I will bow down before him. I will sing to and worship the king who is worthy. I will love and adore him. I will bow down before him. You're my prince of peace, and I will live my life for you. And you're my prince of peace, and I will live my life for you. Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Travel Search Christ. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know that you're an honored guest. We invite you to come back and worship with us as often as you can. If you are visiting with us, if you could, please uh, take an attendance card from the pew in front of you, fill that out, and put it in the collection place. It passes by. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. I'd like to remind everyone of our scheduled services. Our Sunday morning Bible study begins at 9.30. Sunday morning worship is at 10.30. And Sunday evening worship is at 5 p.m. And mid- Midweek Bible study is Wednesday night at 7 p.m. We will have Bible Bowl practice today at 4 p.m. Also, our young men will be conducting evening services tonight. Please come and encourage our young men. And after those services tonight, we will have a fellowship meal uh, after the service. Hillcrest Church Christ is hosting a spiritual emphasis weekend, August 5th through the 7th. A flyer with more information is on the bulletin board in the in the foyer. Also, part of uh, that spiritual emphasis weekend. At Hillcrest, Saturday morning, there's going to be a youth rally. Uh, We will be attending that. Uh, There is a sign-up sheet on the uh, bulletin board. They have asked for a number of those who who will be attending, so if you could get that signed uh, today, our family members, so we can give them a count. And also, the bus will leave Saturday morning at 7.30. Ladies, you are invited to a baby shower for Nathan Caitlin Wallace on Sunday, August 7th at 2 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. They are expecting a baby boy and are registered at Target, Walmart, and Amazon. 
Come join the fun at our back-to-school bash on Saturday, August 13th from 1 to 3 p.m. We're going to have inflatables, face paint, and games uh, and are some of the great activities that's going to be happening that day. Uh, school supplies will also be given away to all from kindergarten through, through 12th grade students. Ask you please see Tiffany and Adam Moore for more information about this event. And they are still needing some school supplies, so if you could see them or just bring some school supplies, Adam said you can put those in the carrying corner. Also, if you'd like to help with this event, uh, Adam is going to have an information a meeting in the fellowship hall after services this morning for about 15 minutes. So please meet Adam and Tiffany back at the fellowship hall uh, today after services. Uh, we will have a youth and senior supper this, or excuse me, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, August 10th. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet on the youth board. Also, our gospel meeting's coming up. It will be on August 21st through the 24th, and we'll begin with Friends and Family Day uh, on, the, on Sunday, August 21st. We'll have a fellowship meal after Sunday morning worship. We will have a fellowship meal Monday through Wednesday at 6 p.m. prior to services at 7 uh, the meat will be provided, so please bring sides, desserts, and drinks for each of the fellowship meals. Uh, the guest speaker will be Brother John Cantrell, uh, minister at South Harpeth Church of Christ. Let's begin inviting our friends and neighbors and help spread uh, the go- gospel of Christ. Flyers for distribution are in the foyer. Hilldale Church of Christ, Ladies' Day is Saturday, August 27th. See the flyer on the bulletin board for more information. If you, if you do not wish to register online, there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Uh, if you could sign that by August 15th, those names will be forwarded to Hilldale. And Trenton Crossing uh, Church of Christ, Friends and Family Day, is going to be Sunday, August 14th. There's a flyer for that also on the bulletin board in the foyer. I have one thank you note from Ms. Shannon Garrett. <clears throat> it says, I want to thank everyone who helped make our, v- our VBS so fun this year. A special thanks to all who brought the animals out for the kids to enjoy and Becky's dad and Dalton for the great hayride. It's wonderful to be part of such a hardworking and loving church family, Miss Shannon. Thank you, Miss Shannon, for all your hard work on Vacation Bible School. That concludes our announcements. We'll now have a reading. This morning I'll be reading from Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, of our faith, whose joy set for him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such an opposition from sinful men, so that you will grow, not grow weary and lose heart. Song for opening prayer be number 202. 202. Sweetly, Lord, have we heard thee calling, come follow me. to thee. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Though they lead o'er the Dark mountains seeking his sheep, or along by Salome's fountains, helping the weak. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway. We will follow the steps.
presence of Jesus, wherever they go. By and by through the shining portals, turning our feet, we shall walk with the glad immortals as golden street. But Prince of Jesus, that make the pathway glow, we Jesus, wherever they go. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for the evil one, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Prepare our minds to the Lord's Supper. We'll sing number 174. We'll sing the first verse. Number 174. When we meet in sweet communion, where the feast divine is spread, Wondrous love for you and me While we feast Christ gently whispers Do this in my memory Commemorate this communion service, commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I always try to empathize and put myself in his place, what his feelings were the night before he was betrayed, and how his apostles either misunderstood or misconstrued what he was trying to tell them. And they were so busy asking, Who's going to be in your inner circle, Jesus? Who's going to be? Uh, sitting at your right hand when you're in your kingdom. They were grasping at those physical things of power and prestige when they should have been seeking to comfort their Lord and Savior. They didn't understand it all. They didn't have a clue. And sometimes I think we go into the Lord's communion service not having a clue what Jesus has done for us. We need to put ourselves back the way he, he prayed till he literally bled, uh, sweat, blood, now, that's under extreme duress. Jesus not only suffered prior to the cross, but he suffered during the cross. And why? Why did he suffer? It was for us. And we couldn't see so often the picture of him, the saving, sanctifying son of God, who didn't have to come to save us, but he did. He was as committed to his heavenly father as uh, a son should and could be. 
And so when Jesus came down among us, taught us, and then left the legacy of eternal life for us, what more could he have done? So let's examine these things in our hearts and our minds as we take the bread and the cup and honor him in doing so. And think about him as you're doing these things. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we're humbled in your sight. Father, we pray that your will and not ours be done. And we ask, dear Lord, that you give us hearts that ache for your son, that feel the sin, the burden of our sins, each one of us, that he had to die on the cross for us. And Father, we gratefully acknowledge that as we take this bread, how his body was savagely beaten and stripped and bled for us all. As we take this bread, Father, may we do so humbly and thankfully. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us now pray for the fruit of the vine. Loving Father, as we take this fruit of the vine, which represents your Son's blood shed on the cross for us, that blood that now cleanses us daily in our sinful lives, help us, Father, to be humbled in your presence and thankful in his and what he has done for us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Having concluded the Lord's Supper, the elders have set this time aside for us to return back to the Lord that which is his, and let us do so with grateful and humble hearts. Let's go to Father in prayer. Almighty God, we again approach you thanking you for everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we can be. We thank you especially, Father, for eternal life that you gave to us through Jesus. Father, that which we return is just a a small thing, but it is a joyful thing that we have opportunity to do on the first day of the week. And we thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. like to mark your songbooks or song of invitation after lesson be number 581 581 four lessons stand and sing number 519 519 sing the wondrous love of Jesus sing his mercy and his grace in the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toes of life repay when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Say please. Good morning. It's so good to see each and every one of you here, and I appreciate your presence. It's such a blessing to be in an environment where we can worship and praise God without fear of being intimidated, arrested, harassed, 
So we just have a, a lot of things to be thankful for. And uh, I wanted to make a couple of quick announcements. Number one, I don't recall if this was in the announcements, Ron. Judith Frazier had a heart spasm. She had to go to the ER yesterday. And fortunately, the EKG came back negative, no heart damage. But she is going to go to a cardiologist to get more information about what's going on with her heart. So Howard and Judith are uh, taking care of her, and Howard should be here tonight. Also, BJ wanted to just relay... Uh, her appreciation. She sent me a text about Bill, and um, she said, um, let me read this for you. Please tell the congregation, thank you for all the messages, calls, and food. I know there are some people I haven't responded to, so BJ's getting a lot of text messages and calls and requests, so if you haven't heard back from her, she wanted to say publicly, thank you, thank you for all of your, for your help and prayers and response, and she did say that hopefully they're going to put together a rehab plan for Bill. They kind of done an assessment. The good news is the feeding tube is out, so they'll talk about maybe a, a path of recovery and him getting stronger this coming week uh, and as he begins to rehab. So he is out of critical care, and I've been by to see him, I think, three times, and so just keep Bill and BJ in prayer as he recovers from, from his stroke. So we look forward to having a young men do service tonight. That's always a, a pleasure. And if you're participating, meet men we briefly in Classroom 1 right after services. But we have four young men who are going to speak for us tonight on the topic of prayer, prayer and why it's important. So we're just so excited. So who is this Messiah? I, I just, uh, it, it was on my heart to bring a series of lessons about Messiah. What does he really mean? The answer to that question really depends on the timeline of history. You see, the prophets, as they wrote about Messiah in ancient times, they were intrigued, curious, longing to understand what exactly the Holy Spirit was moving them to write. What did that mean? And, and so even Jesus would read, as he walked on the earth, a passage from the book of Isaiah. So as we see Jesus through the ages, you'll notice that the answer changes. We see as we get closer to the advent of Jesus Christ and his birth, the Jews kind of had this idea that Messiah was going to be a political leader who made Jerusalem and Israel great again, and they would overthrow the Roman government and do away with all the oppression and conquering. The Lord told Moses back in Deuteronomy 18... I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak so that all I command him. In Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, we have a reference that Jesus talks about himself, but I'm just going to read one verse. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. I do want to say that Jesus and his message is a message of good news. We call the gospel good news. Some of you, most of you here today, have obeyed the gospel. You've gone through that life-transforming process of saying goodbye to the old person and embracing Jesus, and you've made a commitment to follow him, to walk after him, to live for him, to think like him. And so I'm challenging you as you listen to this lesson series, as you, as you look through your own filter, through your own glasses at Jesus, Messiah, how has he really impacted your life? And so we're looking through those lenses of different people to get an understanding of Jesus and who he is and how does he affect those lives. You may recall that our first lesson was about the ancient prophets who wrote about him. They longed to look, including angels. Who is this Messiah? And how would these prophecies be fulfilled? And was he indeed born of a virgin? And so many questions about Jesus and, and who he was and why he came. Then the apostles who actually traveled with Jesus, as you fast forward in the timeline, those who fished with him, ate with him, observed the miracles, and how he began to transform their lives, especially after Pentecost, when we see the Holy Spirit coming in a very powerful way and they proclaim the good news of Jesus. Our, our lesson that we looked at earlier, <clears throat> number three, was the religious leaders who 
frankly, hated Jesus. They despised him for the most part, not all of them, but most of them, because he challenged and upset their authority, their system for making money. They were the ones in control. They were the ones who were powerful, and they didn't like anybody upsetting their apple cart. Boy, did Jesus upset their apple cart. He told things that they didn't agree with. They tried to trip him up. He challenged their authority. And ultimately, it was the religious experts who had the trial, which resulted in Jesus' death. Last week, we looked at lesson four, the hurting and the helpless, and how Jesus so related and identified with those who were hurting. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. And today, we're going to be looking at the New Testament believers. Basically, the first, second, and third century Christians who had this transformation process when they accepted Jesus Christ and obeyed the gospel. Now, next week, which will be our our last lesson in this series, is I want to get very personal in how you see Jesus. As you look at Jesus through your own set of glasses, how has he changed your life? How has he made a difference? Has Jesus made a difference? Are you one of those Christians that are, that are a, a Christian in name only? And so we want to talk about that transformation process and, and the growth and how we view Jesus compared to ourselves and, and how we basically end up replacing our life and putting Jesus instead. So as I want to talk about the New Testament believers, I, I want you to imagine for a minute <clears throat> that you've heard John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, and he says things like you've never heard before. You go home, you think, you ponder, you you read from the Bible, and you're wondering, who is he talking about, this Messiah? He's preparing the way for someone who's coming. And then sure enough, a few days later, you witness Jesus himself performing miracles and speaking as no way, no one has ever spoken before. And, And he's intriguing. And so, as you begin to study and watch and learn Jesus, you see somebody going through this life process where they make a choice to change. This Jesus is saying things like I've never heard before. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And then he says something that's just life transforming. And and so, this person, as they listen, uh, they leave that old self and they become someone new. They surrender their own will and follow Jesus. And so my question today is, why would somebody do this? Why would somebody give up all of their rights and their individuality and their own way of thinking and their own lifestyle and follow Jesus? Why? Why would someone do that? It depends on how you see the Messiah. Paul reminds the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What am I saying to you today, church? I'm saying that if you wear the name Christian, your life has been changed. Your speech, your behavior, your thoughts, your values, your goals, the things that you treasure have all been changed. You're a now new creation in Christ. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Galatia. He says to the early church, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see where Paul is saying, It's not about me. It's not about what I want anymore. I've surrendered that old lifestyle and I've given it to God. Man, that's powerful. When we begin to understand that following Jesus is a transformative process, it changes who we are. It changes our whole value system. It radically changes the things that we, that we wrap our arms around. And we begin to long for things that we can't even see. And you see, in our next slide, I have the picture of some early Christians in the first and second century who are being persecuted for their belief in Jesus Christ. They loved Jesus so much 
if they were willing to give their lives for him. Here we see Christians gathered in a, a group praying as lines are released to tear them apart from limb to limb. One of the things that perplexed the Romans, and especially those who ran the gladiator games, who were in charge of the arena for sport, blood sport, one of the things that perplexed the people at the arena was that these Christians faced death with such confidence and calmness. They weren't shrieking and panicking and pleading for their lives. They were praying together and almost happy. Happy? Happy that they were going to be torn apart from limb and limb by a line who's quickly approaching, they were happy. You see, they had gone through a transformation process where their life was no longer tied to what was on this earth, but their new life that was eternal was with God forever in a place where there was no devil, no suffering, no pain, no sorrow. They longed for it. And they were joyful that they were ready to make that transition. You see, ah, there there is faith. That's true faith. When you no longer long for the things of this world, and as you prepare to pass on to that next eternal life, people are perplexed, confused, bewildered when they see that calm reassurance of how Jesus has radically changed your life. So let's talk about the Messiah for just a few minutes. And what I want to offer for you today, for your consideration, is in the first, second, and third century when, when arguably persecution was at its peak, when people were being killed uh, and persecuted for believing in Jesus. This early church, why did they latch on to Messiah? Why was Jesus so special to them? Why was it transforming lives where they could calmly face death and persecution? gladly giving up their own life. By the way, it's interesting if you ever wondered what would it be like if that persecution existed in America today and what effect would it have on the church? What effect would it have on Stroudsville? What effect would it have on you if you knew that your faith would cost you your life? There's some transformative power right there if you can long for heaven as you face death. I want to offer four reasons today. I'm sure there's others, maybe more that would be uh, more applicable, but here they are. Here's the first one of four that I think appealed to people. In other words, why Jesus? Why choose Jesus? Why give up everything and and my own will and my own goals and, and begin to love Jesus and pursue Jesus and let him take over? Well, first of all, the Messiah had this ability to make everyone one. Initially, we looked at the Jews to whom the Word of God came initially through the apostles. But yet, not too long thereafter, we see Peter and Paul now taking that Word to the Gentiles. And you're probably aware, you've probably heard before in teaching that In the temple in Jerusalem, there was actually a wall around the temple, the temple court. And and if a Gentile were to physically pass beyond the wall and get too close in the temple court to the temple itself and cross the wall, there was a penalty of death. You Gentiles are excluded, and if you go past this wall, it could be your death. No Gentiles allowed. Paul addresses that dividing wall and he talks about the fact that when Jesus Christ came and he died for all, Gentiles included, that wall was done away with and we all became one. I'm going to give you just a moment to turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to turn there myself, get my Bible open. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read verse 27 and 29. So join me, if you will, where Paul talks about unity in Christ. Listen to what he says to the church at Galatia. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're now wearing Jesus. You've been immersed in the waters of baptism. 
You belong to him. You are clothed with him. But listen to what he says in verse 28. I find this very interesting. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male, female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I find it fascinating that he's writing to Gentiles. Writing to Gentiles. You see, really, there's no advantage to the Jew any longer, Paul is saying, because you're all one in Christ. Now, he says to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus, which is now modern-day Turkey, if you go to Google Maps, type in Ephesus, you'll see that it's in the far western part of the uh, continent of Turkey, in that country. Paul says these words in Ephesians chapter 2. So then you, he says to Gentiles. So when you see you, think of it as Gentile Christians who were formerly excluded from covenant promises. For now you are no longer strangers, aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You're being built up into this living, breathing building of God. Jews and Gentiles side by side. There's no dividing wall. Church, what does that mean to us? That means that the Messiah, as he appeals to us, as we sit in this congregation today, there's a diversity of education. There's a diversity of where we grew up and how we talk. Some of us have accents, right? Some of us make more money than others. Some of us drive different vehicles, wear different clothes. It doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ and that dividing wall. The differences socially, economically, education have all gone away and we're now one in Christ. What do we have in common today? We're all washed in the blood of Jesus. We all love the Lord. We all long to go to our home eternal. And as we love the Lord more, those differences that might have existed in our society fade away because we're one in Christ. Imagine in the early church in the first, second century, you might have a Christian brother or sister who comes to worship service and right next to them is the servant. Some call them slaves, right? They're slaves, servants in the, in the quarters of the, of the person, and they worship together now, brother and sister in Christ, all one in the blood of Jesus. He makes us one. Unity. In verse 21, continuing in Ephesians 2, it says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You're now built together, brick upon brick. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Number two. So unity is our first Redeeming quality that Messiah offered the first, second, and third century Christians. Second, heaven. Oh, heaven. How I long to go to heaven. In Acts 2, when Peter brought that beautiful sermon on the day of Pentecost, he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now we know there were a lot of people from a lot of areas because the apostles had to bring those messages of the good news of Jesus in various languages. But we see a diversity of people now added together, around 3,000 in the Lord's church. He promised life eternal, a life better than the one we experience on this earth, one we long for. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, it says, uh, as John writes, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him, John writes. He writes to Jews, to Gentiles, people of many diverse backgrounds. And he says to those who believe in Christ, You are in Him who is true. You're in Him. 
By the way, if you were to ask any early New Testament Christian, where is Jesus at this moment? Is he here on this earth? Oh no, he's at the right hand of God, awaiting in the throne. And if I'm in him right now, that means that ultimately I'll be with him on the day of judgment. So I want to stay in Him to be with Him eternally because that's where He is now. And I will be shortly. You see, we begin to long for our other home. Especially as we get older, brothers and sisters. Amen? Those of you that are getting older and gray-haired, you're like, yes, brother, yes. It won't be long now. He promised us a beautiful life in Him. In Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Oh, we sing so many songs about heaven, longing to be with Him. Longing to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You ever find yourself longing for your eternal home? Number three, what appealed to people? Why did the Messiah draw the first, second, and third century Christian? I think that one of the biggest draws that at least I see is that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to help and comfort them. By the way, He still does today, but that was transforming. And let me just share with you four words, four phrases that are often referred to in the Holy Spirit. And so I want to offer um, these ideas to you. When Jesus was still on the earth and talking about uh, his death that was coming up very soon, the crucifixion, the apostles didn't understand, but he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the comforter and he will be with you. They had no clue what he meant. They did not know. They did not understand. But you see, post-resurrection and ascension, when Jesus was in heaven now, and they were by themselves, guess what happened in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost? That comforter, boy, did he show up. (laughs) The sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it says it's like tongues or flames of fire came over their heads and they were able to speak in various languages, and proclaim in a powerful way the message of Jesus Christ. And they preached baptism for the remission of sins, and they were comforted that they had the presence of God with them. Not in the physical presence of Jesus, but in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, church. And if you've gone through a difficult time in your life, and you don't know how to cry out, you don't know what to say, and you're hurting, then you ask God, help me, help me. He says, I'm already inside you. I'm helping you right now. I will give you peace. I have given you the helper, the Holy Spirit. Another benefit of the indwelling of God's Spirit is it produces joy. And I'm convinced, and I wrote this in the bulletin article, all of that army of of adult volunteers that came. Yes, we had about two adults for every one child. How's that for a ratio? Why do so many adults come to vacation Bible school? I can't keep them away. Next year I says, don't come. We don't need you. No, I wouldn't say that. Shannon would kill me, right? She likes an army of volunteers. Why do those adults keep coming to vacation Bible school? Because they serve in the name of Jesus and the Spirit gives them Y'all know what he gives them, right? He gives them joy. Joy. The adults love it when they're serving and giving, and the Holy Spirit produces joy. And I'm convinced the more we give and the more that we serve in the name of the Lord, the more joy the Spirit produces in our lives. Sounds like a win-win when you turn your life over to Jesus. That's what appealed to people in the first, second, and third century church as they learned about Messiah. Finally, the fourth role of the the Holy Spirit 
was that the Spirit guided and led them into the things that uh, they needed to say and do. He still works in our hearts today. Now, finally, our last point, number four, is that the early church saw Jesus as a perfect example. And that's one thing I love about the fact that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, eyewitnesses, all wrote these accounts of Jesus and how he interacted. And as you study Jesus and you, and, you, and you do a character study and you look at Jesus, you begin to see that in every way he was perfect. He was perfect in how he loved. He was perfect in his compassion, his kindness, and all that beautiful servant heart he had. And so Jesus invites us to crucify ourselves, to give up ourselves and let him come in and be the Lord of our life. To, to give up those rights and privileges that we have and say, Jesus, you're in charge now. I yield to you. Jesus is the perfect example in every way. And I hope that as we mature in Christ and we focus on the Messiah, that we will continue to yield up our own will and let Jesus come in and fill us and lead us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we're told, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says to the church, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Today, we've simply talked about four areas where the Messiah appealed to the people of the first, second, and third century, why they were willing to give up everything for him, why they were willing to be persecuted and some even die for the sake of Jesus Christ. Number one, we looked at the unity that he provided. He broke down the dividing wall, the barrier of the Gentiles and the Jews. And even today still, he brings us all together, unified in Christ, all covered in his blood, all children of God, descendants and beneficiaries of his inheritance. You see, I serve the king, but I'm also a child of the king. And my kingdom awaits. Wherever your background, whatever your education, whatever your income, Whatever the color of your skin, Christ has made us all one. The promise of heaven keeps us going when times are tough. Economic uncertainty, depression, difficulty, trauma. Heaven will always be there when our life ends. Number three, the indwelling of the Spirit. Read Romans 8. Gives us a great example of the benefits in the latter part of Romans 8 and what the Spirit does for us and how He helps us from day to day. Finally, number four, in summary, we saw how Jesus, in every way, is a perfect example for us as we live our life. And if there's ever any doubt, church, look to Jesus. Who is this Messiah? And I hope you've appreciated our lesson today, our next to last lesson on the early church, why they were attracted to and followed Jesus. Those things still apply today. Next week, we'll wrap up this lesson series and talk about your life and how Jesus is impacting you. We want to invite you today, if you're listening to this lesson and you're not a Christian, if you've maybe worn the name Christ, but you've not led a life that's faithful and dedicated, maybe you're not bearing fruit and growing in Christ, we want to encourage you to come and rededicate, recommit, or make that good confession and become a Christian today. We invite you to come to Jesus. Let the Messiah save you through his own blood. The invitation is yours, and as Brian leads us, we invite you to come. Let's stand and sing. Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in His sanctified throne. Why not, why not, why not come to Him now? Why not, why not, why not come to Him now? What 
do you hope, dear brother, to gain by a further delay? There's no one to save you but Jesus. There's no other way but his way. Thank each of you for being here with us this morning uh, in person or by live stream. I'd like to invite each of you to be back at 5 o'clock tonight for evening worship as our con- uh, young men will be conducting service. I'd like to remind our young men, if you are uh, interested in taking part in the service tonight, please, please meet with Brother Tom in room 1 after closing prayer. Any other final announcements? Not our closing song be raining me. Over all the earth you reign on high, every mountain stream, every sunset sky, but my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign in me again, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power dreams in my darkest hour you are the lord of all i am so won't you reign in me again over every thought over every word may my life reflect the beauty of my lord you mean more to me than any earthly so won't you reign in me again, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams. In my darkest hour, you are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams. In my darkest hour, you are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again? So won't you reign in me again? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, this time of worship that we've had to sing songs of praises and hear your word, but to most of all remember your son Jesus, the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us. Heavenly Father, as we leave here today, we ask that you help us to uh, comfort those who are unable to be with us uh, due to health issues, but also to uplift those and encourage those who chose not to be with us this morning, that we go out and that we share your word with Uh, those who have open hearts and open minds to your word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, so much for this church and the work that's being done, and we ask that you continue to uh, give us the courage, the energy uh, to continue to move forward and to spread your word. And we thank you so much again for this time that we've had, but most of all for your son Jesus, in his name that we pray. Amen.